Good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Rich. If you didn't see me during the notices waving, uh, it is I. Um, do come and speak to me if you are able and would like to come to the newcomers' tea this afternoon. It'd be great to share a bit more about church life uh, and what it looks like to be involved with us. Let me pray just before we um, look at these verses together. <coughs> Gracious God, we uh, thank you so much for these, uh, these wonderful and so, so important events that we're looking at today. Lord, we know these events were so that you would reveal yourself to your people and to the world. And so we ask again that you would reveal yourself to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, every now and again, there are those hugely significant moments in history uh, which, in, in one sense, shape time. I guess most recently, pre- and post-pandemic. It's just become a huge marker in our lives, this, this period of time that we think of before and after. Maybe you went back a bit, bit further, you might think of, of 9-11. That was a, a, sorry, I was going to do this so I don't lose my things halfway through. Um, a hugely significant event which led to this kind of before and after in thinking. Think, think airport security and the difference before and after. Now, obviously, there are ones even more significant than those. And the events that we're looking at today in the passage for Israel, for God's people back then, was the seminal moment in their history. If you look down to chapter 12 and verse 2, the Lord says, this month, i.e. what they're going to be celebrating, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. These events that we're looking at brought a change about in their calendar. They restructured how they view time, whether it, around this most important events. And of course, as we look at uh, this this change, whether perhaps the the Israelites thought of you know before Passover and after Passover, of course, points us back to BC AD, before the coming of the Lord Jesus and His death and resurrection, and after it. That, this event that we're going to look at today in the Passover points us to the Lord Jesus and those most important of moments. Because here we are, if you've been with us through Exodus so far, God's people are enslaved in Egypt. Bitter lives, oppressed, persecuted by Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And the Lord has promised that he is going to bring his people out from that slavery. And over the last few weeks, we've seen really the build-up where the Lord has said, let my people go through Moses. And time and again, Pharaoh said, no. This is the moment we've been waiting for, right back from chapter 2 when we first heard that God had heard his people's suffering. He saw their distress. He remembered his covenant and the Lord knew their situation. It's come to this moment, I say, in the last few weeks we saw the, the first nine plagues. There's great acts of the Lord's, of Lord's judgments. And yet Pharaoh, again, his heart was hardened again and again. And it's come to the moment that the Lord always knew it would. You can't say that, you don't have to. But just back in chapter 4 and verse 22, a long time ago, this is what was said. Then you shall say, this is the Lord speaking to Moses, then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord... Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, 
Let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. The Lord always knew it would come to this. And then if you come to chapter 11, verse 1, where we started our reading today, the Lord said to Moses, yet one more plague, so one plague more, I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Blood, frogs, gnats, flies, death of livestock, boils. No, that hasn't persuaded Pharaoh. Hail, locusts, darkness, the pressure's getting to him, but still he refuses. And this worst and most terrifying of plagues This will do the job. This will bring the people out. And this is our first point this morning, if we can get out there, is the Lord's terrifying judgment. It is terrifying judgments. Chapter 11, verse 4, Then So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle, there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. It's a terrifying picture. Every firstborn in the nation, from the most important person to the least, including even the animals. You can really understand, can't you, why there had never had been and never would be a cry go out throughout that land. And if you skip down to chapter 12, verse 12, we're given more detail. What's going to happen? Well, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Here it is. I am the Lord. And he is the one who's going to execute his judgment on them. Because they wouldn't let the people go. And then in chapter 12, verse 39. Sorry, 12, 29. We see these chilling events happen. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. What a solemn night. Imagine being woken by the screams of your neighbours. A real night of tragedy and devastation. It's a night of the Lord's terrifying judgment. And, And truly there is nothing more terrifying than the judgment of the Lord. But make no mistake, when we read this, it can be tempting to think, isn't that a bit much? Every firstborn in their land? Make no mistake that this was just and fair. 
As, as we saw back in chapter 4 when I read those, those verses, this is a firstborn for a firstborn. Think back if you've been here on Pharaoh's cruelty and his regime of terror. You know, the concentration camps, the labor camps, the brutality to kill baby boys just because of his own insecurity. And indeed, the word struck down that we, that we read there in, in chapter 12, 29, we've read that before. It was the, what was used to describe the Egyptian um, slave master striking down one of the Israelites. And indeed, let's not forget, Pharaoh had these nine plagues before this one, nine chances to avoid all this. Now, this is right and just. This is a proportionate act of the Lord's judgment, his, his righteous anger on Pharaoh and the nation that had oppressed the Israelites. But here's the really perhaps surprising and shocking thing for us. You see, it is not just the Egyptians who are facing this judgment. The Israelites were too. We're going to see in a moment how the Lord provided a way for his people to be safe from this judgment, but the fact was they needed to be kept safe from it. They needed to be rescued from this death of the firstborn like the Egyptians. Now, why so? Well, later on in the book of Exodus, we're going to probably study it in two halves, so we're going to have to probably wait until next year sometime. The next year when we do the second half of Exodus, we are going to see that actually God's people were just as capable of being just as hard-hearted as Pharaoh. You know, that they, they grumbled and they turned their back on God so much so that they wished they were back in Egypt. And they worshipped a, a golden calf. And also see this verse. This is from Joshua. So this is much later when uh, God is the, then bringing his people into the promised land, as he'd said. And here they, it said, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. See, this is describing actually God's people when they're in Egypt... You know, they lived there for 400 years, and it seems that they too had adopted the Egyptians' gods. They'd started adapting to their culture and to their gods. You know, you can imagine the people, they're like, everyone's doing it. You know, maybe this frog thing or the sun, you know, if I bow down to it, maybe it will help me have children and make my crops go. Let's give it a go. The Israelites too had sinned, which is the Bible's word for describing uh, turning the back, your back on the Lord and prioritizing or worshiping something else other than Him. The Israelites too needed being saving from this judgment. We've said it many times so far that this this, pic, this story of the Exodus is also a picture of God's greater rescue in the Lord Jesus. Before we can understand that rescue that Jesus brings, we need to understand that, indeed, we too, all people today, need saving. Now, that might come as a bit of a surprise to you. We might not like that. You know, we can understand 
can't we, God's righteous anger at those evil dictators like Pharaoh or Hitler or Pol Pot or uh, any example that you might think of, of those people who are dead set on evil in our world today. We can understand and go, yes, it is good and right that there is just judgment upon them. But we do struggle to think of God's judgment coming upon nice people. We would struggle to think about God being angry with us. But that is, I think, because we divide people up into to childish categories. Okay, my children are just at that, that age of starting to discover superheroes and the like, and like goodies and baddies. And after the question I get, is he a goodie or is he a baddie? These childish categories, which are fine when it comes to superhero comics, but it's not something the Bible does. There aren't these, these caricature categories of, of goodies and baddies. No, the Bible says we all, just like the Egyptians did, and just like the Israelites did, get caught up in worshipping false gods. Now, I don't necessarily mean that we today will bow down before a literal physical statue, although in many parts of the world we would. And in a, a diverse church family as we have here, maybe we have experienced that, that pressure to literally bow down to a physical idol. But, but to worship something is, is to prioritize some, something other than the Lord. That could be money, that could be sex, that could be fame, that could be wealth, that could be security, that could be anything. And we all will end up prioritizing and loving and cherishing things other than the Lord's. And that means that we are all guilty before him. And indeed the Bible also says this, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Every single human being who lives is going to have to give an account of their life before the Lord. See, we too need save, saving from the Lord's terrifying judgment. And you know what? This is what you and I need most. If I were to ask you this morning, you know, if there's one thing in your life, you take that away, then my life will be okay. My life will be sorted. Is it a health thing? A financial thing? A relationship thing? And one thing if that could just go away, then, then I'll be okay. Without belittling your problem, your biggest need, as is mine, is being safe from God's judgment. And why can I say that? Well, because that is what was true for God's people in Egypt. Remember their situation. They're there enslaved for 400 years, the nation, that bitter persecution. And yet, in the middle of this, the focus comes in on their need to be rescued from the Lord's judgment. That's what they needed, even more than being liberated from Egypt. That's what they needed. And of course, that is what the Lord provided. So now we move on to the Lord's perfect rescue. We commented a number of times in the plagues about how the Lord made a distinction between the Egyptians and Israel. How he spared his people from some of those plagues. And there is a distinction here, too, with this plague. But for the first time, the Israelites had to do something. Before, the Lord just made that distinction. But here, the Lord calls his people to do something to avoid this judgment. 
And the Lord provided this perfect rescue, and the solution was a lamb. The solution was a lamb. You were to take a lamb, to, to kill it, to sacrifice it, and to paint its blood on your doorframe. And so, when they did that, uh, verse 13, chapter 12, verse 13, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will before you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. You see, the lamb was how God made a distinction between the Egyptians and his people. The lamb was how they were kept safe from God's judgments. Again, why? Why do this? The Lord could easily, again, have made that distinction. He, he, he didn't need a signpost. He didn't need, actually, something to physically say, this guy's an Israelite, that guy's an Egyptian. He'd made that distinction before. But the lamb was a sacrifice. The point was that the lamb died in the place of the firstborn. That the lamb died so that the first one of their family wouldn't. It was, as it were, a public sign by taking that blood and painting it on the doorframe. It was a reminder, it was a seal saying, look, we will live tonight because something else died in my place. We will be safe because of this blood. It was as much a sign for them as it was for the Lord. And the importance of the Lamb explains why actually such time is given to the selection of the lamb. It's not go outside and grab a lamb. Anyone will do. Grab it and come back. Now we actually have four verses, which is quite a long time, really. Four verses describing um, the selection of the lamb, which shows the importance of making the right choice. The main emphasis comes in chapter 12, verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or the goats. This was to be perfect. The best there was. Without blemish, without flaw. And back in, chapter, uh, back in verse 4, a great emphasis is, um, is placed on its proportionality. So it should be the right size for the amount of people in your family. And if your family was too small, you could join with another family. So that it was just as much as you, you could eat. You see, this sacrifice, yes, it was about saving of the firstborn son, but really it was more than that. It was about saving the, 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 the family as a whole, the people as a whole. This sacrifice was, be, was to be enough for the whole family. When the lamb died, it was a substitute for the for the Lord's firstborn. Sorry, for the family's firstborn, but it was ultimately a substitute for the Lord's firstborn, for the whole people. You see in chapter 12, verse 30, uh, that there was somebody dead in each house right across the land. Well, in a sense, someone was dead in the Israelites' house too, but it was the lamb instead of the firstborn. This is the rescue. This is how the Lord kept his people safe from his judgments. 
And just as he said it would, this led to the people's rescue from Egypt. We're not going to go into it too much now. This is going to be two weeks' time when we really dive into this a bit more. But have a look at chapter 12, verse 33. This, this act of judgment having come, the Lord having spared his people, well, chapter 12, verse 33, the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. Get them out. Go. And indeed, they left, and they left with such great provision of the Lord. They left with gold and silver and clothing to, to prepare them and to keep them on their journey. And then if you turn the page to chapter 12, verse 40, the summary. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, which is referring to the day of the Passover, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. Here it was. The great rescue. By this great act of judgment, this mighty act of judgment, the Lord's people were set free. And as I said in the introduction, this is the foundational rescue of the Old Testament, the Passover. This is what the Lord's people referred back to again and again. This is what the, the Lord's people were to remember each and every year. And again, we're focusing more on that next week. This was the rescue of the Old Testament that shows the Lord's mighty saving work. And yet, great as it was, it was only a shadow of the ultimate rescue. And how so clearly this points us to the Lord Jesus. You know, remember how that lamb had to be perfect. Well, the Lord Jesus, throughout his life, followed the Lord's will in everything perfectly. Remember his baptism. What is it that God said from heaven? He said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. What was it who Pilate said just before his execution? I find no charge against him. He was the perfect one. And yet he spilled his blood. As it were, on a vertical and horizontal piece of wood. What was it the Lord, uh, the Lord Jesus drank from? The... the and the wine vinegar on a sponge on a hyssop branch. What was it the Lord's people were to paint the blood on the doorframe with? A hyssop branch. And under that blood, the Lord's people were kept safe from judgment. The Lord's judgment, as it were, fell on the lamb and kept the people who were sheltering under it safe. And so too, under the Lord Jesus' sacrifice, under his blood, as it were, the judgment falls upon him so they wouldn't fall on his people. And so the Apostle Paul would declare, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. A far greater sacrifice. You know, that lamb was to cover that family. Well, the Lord Jesus' sacrifice covered all of his people. Jesus was that once-for-all sacrifice all his people, that led to rescue. Yes, from slavery, as it were, slavery to sin, but ultimately from slavery, sorry, from, from the Lord's judgment. And as I said earlier, it was interesting, you know, the, the Lord's people had to act. The Lord could have just made that distinction once again, but in this one, 
No, they had to do something. Why? Well, it was an expression of trust, of saying, yeah, yes, I take the Lord at his word. He's provided this rescue, but I, I need to act upon it. I need to do something about it. And as it were with the Lord Jesus Christ again, we, we also have to act upon it. It's not just enough to sit here and hear this this morning and go, wow, that's great, isn't it? No, we are called to come and trust in the Lord Jesus, have faith in him, to lay down any hope of, uh, of avoiding that judgment by anything that you can do yourself. Now, if you want to be safe from the, the Lord's righteous judgment, the only safe place is under, as it were, the blood of the Lamb. It is trusting in the Lord Jesus and what he has done. And, you know, even as Christians, we remember this sacrifice, as, as Ray said, you know, we confess our sins each and every week. Here we go again, confessing those, those same sins. And we can still have those doubts. <coughs> Excuse me. And you can think, well, is this sacrifice really enough? Really enough for me? Really enough for all that I've done? Really enough for all that I've done again? Well, I love the little description back in chapter 11 and uh, verse uh, 7. But let, let me read from verse 6 for the contrast. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And I love that description. Not even a dog will growl against you, let alone the judgment of the Lord falling upon you. No, nothing. The Lord's rescue plan will surely keep you safe from judgment. And he will surely keep us safe from judgment too.